0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 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 what's up, It's new! It's new. It's new. It's <laughs> Here comes a lightning bolt. Parker fans are witnesses to history! This is the Lightning Round Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle.
2: Go Chargers,
1: go. Welcome to the bye week. This is the Lightning Round Podcast with Jamie Hoyle, who is tweeting at Lightning underscore round. I am Garrett Sisti at Garrett Sisti on Twitter, and we are taking a whole lot of questions today. We're going to finish out our record predictions after the bye coming up. So we're going to dive right into it, but we have a totally different format. I am out of the state, I almost said country, I'm out of the state, (laughs) I'm traveling, Uh, Jamie and I could not hook up to record together, so we record separately, so what we ended up doing was taking all the questions we got, he's gonna answer one, I'm gonna answer one, we're just gonna go back and forth answering these questions that we got, so just know that Jamie and I aren't together for the first time, I think ever, recording this podcast, we're doing it separately, he's recording questions on his end, I'm recording questions on my end, And let's just go ahead and get into it. The first one is from a caller named Jason. Hey, Lighting Around, Jason here. And
2: my question is kind of a long one, and one that no matter how much I watch games, I just can't seem to figure out, is what is happening with the Chargers' corners. It it doesn't seem like it's like they're regressing or that they just don't have it anymore. It just seems like a lot of technical stuff is going wrong they don't know how to set the edge anymore what they're tackling like they were really good at last year they can't get their head around to find the ball they always seem to be in position but they just can't seem to they can't seem to get it done and I wanted to hear your thoughts on it I wanted to kind of get another opinion on it see what you guys maybe think is happening whether it's from coaching or scheme or maybe they're just not the same players as they were last year uh, thanks for the podcast, guys. Look forward to listening. Uh, I think there are a lot of a lot of things at play with the Chargers' secondary this season. Uh, the first is, you know, obviously early in the year they were really struggling to get pressure on opposing quarterbacks. So as a result of that, the corners were asked to cover for a long time. And as we know, the longer a corner has to cover, the harder it becomes for him to do his job. So there were a lot of guys getting hung out to dry, being asked to cover for four, five, six, seven seconds. And that's just a very difficult task with NFL wide receivers. I also think there are some issues with Gus's scheme. Early in the year, I think they were backing off quite a bit, giving big cushions, and not just giving big cushions, but expanding those cushions as the wide receivers got into their routes. So, for example, against Kansas City and against the Rams... Uh, we saw them you know, giving 8- to 10-yard cushions and then backing off on top of that because they were worried about getting beat deep because they don't have the fastest group of corners. So that was giving the opposing wide receivers a lot of room to operate underneath, and it was creating a lot of opportunities for them to make plays in that 5- to 10-yard range where the corners are backing off and essentially content to allow these guys to make catches in front of them because they're trusting their ability to come up and make a tackle. I also think that as you watch this defense, the cover three scheme has some weaknesses. Uh, You know, it's a lot of zone. So you're really inviting defenses to make plays in front of the, the secondary, in front of the linebackers, even behind the linebackers, because you're trusting people to come up and make tackles after plays are made. And they've had issues tackling. Uh, and i think they've also been hung out to dry quite a bit because they've got some linebackers who are so focused on stopping the run that they're biting on pretty much any play fake they're coming up hard two or three steps and they're vacating their their uh their zones their zone drops so in a lot of cases these corners are letting guys go through the middle of to the, uh, the middle of the defense expecting the linebackers to drop back and cover the linebackers aren't dropping back and covering and then of course we also know that Uh, Jalil Adai is not doing his job, picking guys up on the back end, making tackles. He's having a hard time making decisions and closing ground and taking good angles, and he's getting beat. So I think a lot of these things are contributing to the struggles of the Chargers secondary. I think the overlying factor here is once they resolve the pressure issues and they started getting more pressure on the quarterback, uh, they're just... They're really worried about getting beat deep. I think they got spooked by some of the struggles they had with Tyreek Hill last year. So coming into the year, whenever they see speed receivers on the outside, they're backing off, giving them room, and trying to keep them in front of them. And the result is they're making plays in the middle of the field, and the corners really don't have an opportunity to make those plays. Uh, They've been better in some games. Uh, I think they were good in the Browns game. They got their hands on some footballs. They knocked some balls down. They had much tighter coverage. It was harder for the Browns to complete passes. Um, Against Tennessee, there were more bunch formations, so they were giving cushions because they didn't want to get rubbed and picked, and it was allowing the Tennessee receivers to get into their routes and get a little further downfield. So I think those are some of the things that are happening with the secondary and why the the corners are not playing as well. It does also look like Casey Hayward might be a step slower, and it just looks like, I don't know if it's missing the – training camp and the offseason, but it just really looks like Trevor Williams is not the same player. So a little bit of regression, some schematic issues, some issues with m- missing Joey Bosa. And I think the team and the players hope that a lot of this turns around if and when they get Bosa back, they start getting quicker pressure and the corners will be able to be more
1: aggressive. Now, here's a question from Justin who called in and left a message. Hello, this is Justin from Guangzhou, China. I was uh, wondering if you guys could rank Tom Telesco and the
0: job you think he's doing as a GM in the past. You've suggested that you didn't think he was doing such a
1: great job. Um, I'm a big fan of his. I think he's put together a really good team, but yeah, if you could give me your general thoughts on where he ranks as far compared to other GMs or on a scale from one to 10. Thank you. Great job. Love the podcast. Bye. So I'm going to do a letter grade for Tom Telesco because I think that's a little bit easier to grasp and when you look at this roster where assists today, there are a few holes where the Chargers need to upgrade. But I honestly, I think it's been a while since I've said only a few. You know, when I was going through and thinking of all the trades the Chargers could make at the trade deadline, there isn't a lot. You can think of defensive tackle. You can think about a tight end to take over for Hunter Henry while he's out for the time being. Free safety, obviously. Linebacker. But there isn't a lot of positions of need. I would also like to say, for the grade of Tom Telesco, it is always fluid. There are moves that I question, like drafting Melvin Gordon that have worked out, or a move that I like, like re-signing Joe Barksdale at the time, and that just kind of fell flat. So these grades are always changing. I feel like I've been kind of hit or miss with Tom Telesco, but as the roster sits now, it's hard not to be impressed. Drafts have been good, for the most part, except for those third-round picks. There's been some real hits. Some real misses. There aren't any backbreaking contracts that have kind of hamstrung this team, which I think is very impressive. You can count Travis Benjamin, but I don't, that's not really backbreaking. And listen, Telesco always gets guys a fair deal, and he almost never overpays. And he's always good for a late in free agency gem like Mike Pouncey this offseason. He always gets one of those. So, with all that said, I think with Tom Telesco, I would give him a BB. Plus only because I think he holds on to guys a little bit too long, like Travis Benjamin, Joe Barksdale, maybe even Mebane, Guys who could probably have cut already, don't, kind of wasting away on the roster a little bit. And I also really don't like his don't-give-a-shit attitude about safeties and run-stuffing defensive tackles. That irks me, because they continue to be a problem. So I think that keeps him out of being an A, but BB+, B could fight for an A-minus, really. But I'm going to give him... I won't flip-flop. I'll give you one. B+. plus. He's done a real nice job as a GM. This roster is impressive. And it's, you know, if not a piece or two away from making a real deep run in the playoffs. So this next question comes from somebody who didn't want to leave their name. And I understand why. The question is, can you guys have a moment of silence for Mike McCoy's coaching career in the NFL? Thanks. Well... In honor of Mike, we're not doing a moment of silence, no. But in honor of Mike McCoy, we will bring back a gem that we made here on the podcast while he was still coaching the Chargers. So here you go, Milktoast Mike. This one's for you.
0: From the folks who brought you the most interesting man in the world, introducing the least interesting man in the world. His favorite color
2: is beige. He once threw a boomerang and it decided not to come back. His favorite kind of cake is rice cake. His favorite Spotify playlist
0: is elevator music. He likes saltine crackers
2: for the taste. San Diego Chargers head coach Mike McCoy
1: is the least interesting man in the world the chargers aren't always down 30 to 3 going into halftime but when they are he kicks field goals we'll do what's best for the football team moving forward the next question is from oscar from costa Rica. he says i know it's not usually tom telesco's way to do business but do you see the chargers making a trade Now, while you're listening to this podcast, this is the official trade deadline. You might be listening to it after the trade deadline, but we recorded it earlier than that. So I will say and predict Telesco does not make a move. They're pretty strapped for cash. They have a little over $2.5 million. They'd have to make some cuts, some trades, probably some contract restructures just to get under that to take on another contract. And I don't see Telesco doing that at all. So I say no the Chargers will not make a trade at the trade deadline.
2: The next question is from John, who is British Bolts on Twitter. And John says, hey, guys, if you were to trade a first pick for one player, who would you choose and why? So that's a good question. Um, I think if I was looking for one player who I know is out there who would make sense and fill a need for the Chargers at this point, you know, going back to the conversation about the corners, I think... The one guy who i know is worth a first round pick who you're going to have under contract for a couple of years assuming they could fit him under the cap and in a perfect world everything worked out financially i think that would be patrick peterson of the arizona cardinals peterson's one of the best corners in the league he's 28 years old signed for i believe two more years playing at an exceedingly high level uh, he also has the ability to come in and return kicks and punts if you want him to do that he hasn't done that as much in recent years because they want him healthy to play corner in Arizona. Uh, but there is that option, maybe a wrinkle. Maybe you throw him and Dez back in, in a couple of key punt situations to see if you can you know, get the coverage to lean one way and get a big return out of it. Uh, but I think you know, bringing in a guy like Peterson would be a huge lift for the secondary. It would take a lot of pressure off Casey. Maybe allow them to... Lighten the load a little bit on Trevor, see if they can get him corrected by reducing some of his snaps, and really just bring in a playmaker to the secondary, uh, a secondary, at least from a cornerback perspective, that's lacking playmakers. So that's the guy that I would go for. Uh, I think that's you know solves a big need for this team and would make a lot of sense if they could make the finances work out.
1: This question is from Jared Hendershot. He says, I was expecting Eckler to have a massive showing on Sunday, but only amassed 3.5 yards per carry. Is he strictly a RB2, change of pace back, or are the Titans that good at defending the run? What are your thoughts? We kind of talked about it on the last podcast, but I don't think the Chargers were fully prepared for Eckler to be the feature back that week, or at least that's how it appeared. Wiz had done a really nice job with Gordon running motion, keeping those opposing defenders honest, they also created some creative opportunities for Gordon to get the ball through the air. There's a lot of misdirection. We saw a lot of sweeps, tosses. We didn't see a lot of that at all with Eckler. They basically just ran Eckler up the middle the majority of the time, and that's not really his game. So that was a game plan issue for sure. And that's not just because I'm a fan of Eckler and, you know, I've been pushing Eckler as jokingly saying he's RB1. But look, Eckler's very good. And if he used his skill set, he could take advantage. And they just didn't do that against the Titans.
2: Uh, The next question is from Francis Tandiyama. And he says, "Uh, great show, guys. Always look forward to listening to the pod whenever a show drops. My question is, with the atmosphere of the fans in the London game, would you be mad if the Chargers potentially moved to London? They would play in the atmosphere for every home game and most likely be supported by all of London. I don't think I would mind because they would gain such a following. So I'm a little torn on this question, to be perfectly honest with you, Francis. Um, I think it'd be great for the team to have that kind of following. And there's, obviously, there's obvious benefits there. Uh, I think the idea of moving a team to London is kind of premature. I think there's a lot of travel involved with that. There are a lot of logistical issues that need to be worked out with that. And I'm not really sure that moving a team to London makes sense unless you are moving a division or, and, or maybe creating a whole new conference in Europe uh, so that you can consistently play games in Europe and you're not having to travel back and forth from London to the States on a weekly basis. I just think, you know, in terms of the players' bodies and traveling and jet lag and the logistics and the expense, I'm just not sure it makes sense. And to be perfectly honest with you, from a selfish standpoint, Having the team leave San Diego and move to L.A. was hard enough. Uh, if they were going to move anywhere, I would want them to move back to San Diego, obviously, for selfish reasons. I'm not saying they're going to move back. So before anybody gets their panties in a bunch and says they're not moving back, it's working in L.A., you're crazy, uh, stop being salty, whatever, all that garbage. All I'm saying is, is if they were going to move, I would prefer to be back to San Diego. I'm not sure. From an emotional standpoint, I could handle another move, and frankly, having them move what five thousand miles away to London, I feel like it would just move them one step further away from me, and maybe <clears throat> maybe my interest would wane a little bit just having them so far away. So, uh, f- so for me, you know, would I be mad if they moved? Probably. I don't think I'd like it too much. I understand the the benefits of having a larger fan base and having some rabid fans. I'm just not a fan of football in Europe. I know the NFL is trying to push that. I think it works on a novelty basis. I'm just not sure it works if you have one team out there who has to travel back and forth between Europe and the States on a regular basis. And obviously, I just don't want them moving again. It was a lot to go through the first time and... I'm kind of just starting to get back to normal with them, and I just don't want to deal with another move. So no, not for me. No move for me. I will pass. Thank you very much for the question, though.
1: This is from Vincent. He says, incredibly premature, but as of right now, at this point in the season, who would be your pick for Charter's overall offensive and defensive MVP, most improved player, and most disappointing? For offensive MVP, I think it's easy. It's Phillip Rivers. Melvin Gordon is definitely in the conversation, but this offense is nowhere near what it is right now without El Capitan, number 17. So Phillip Rivers, offensive MVP, and to be quite honest, he should be in the conversation for MVP of the NFL. For defensive MVP, this one's a little bit tougher, but I might have to say Derwin James. He's been a little quiet the last two weeks, but he has just shown out. He's played as one of the better safeties in the league, He's been very good, and I think he's been a very, very bright spot on that defense. Adrian Phillips deserves some love. Melvin Gordon has done enough to create some pressure. I think he's getting a bad rap right now. But I'm going to go with Derwin James. Overall MVP, got to be Phillip Rivers. Easy. Uh, Most improved. The most improved player on this roster is Adrian Phillips. Last year, he did fine as a dime linebacker. He deserved to be re-signed. This year, I don't know how you take him off the field. He deserves that spot. He's earned it. He's been very good the last few weeks. And pretty good throughout the season. He's been really good on special teams throughout the whole year too. Most disappointing, I guess you could say Casey Hayward, but I don't think he's he's been disappointing but not as disappointing to me as Trevor Williams. I think Casey Hayward has still made some plays. But Trevor Williams has been a very disappointing player this year. You know, they're one of the better CB duos in the league, and here they are. They're not near that right now, so I guess you could say Hayward-Trevor Williams, most disappointing, but I also have to say, another guy I'll throw in there, Chris Landrum. Where has he been? He was supposed to be Chris McCain. Chris McCain went silent through the last half of the season, but at least he had five sacks through the first half, unless Chris Landrum's going to do the opposite and collect five sacks here after the bye, but... He's been really disappointing, and he deserves to get his snaps cut. And I had real high hopes for Isaac Rochelle, too, at defensive end. He looked good in preseason. Can't say I'm thoroughly disappointed like I am with Chris Landrum and Trevor Williams, but I'll say Trevor Williams is the most disappointing so far this year.
2: Next question is from Alfred, and Alfred says, Hey, guys, I've asked this question a couple years back, but I don't think it's as easy to answer now with how balanced the team looks. So two minutes left in a game, 75 yards to score with two timeouts, and a touchdown wins it. Would you rather have the Chargers offense trying to score that touchdown or the defense trying to stop the game-winning touchdown? That is a tough question, and I guess there's a qualifier here, right? I think the qualifier is, is Joey Bosa healthy? Because I think if Bosa's healthy and you've got both Bosa and Ingram coming off the edge, you've got Phylon creating pressure up the middle, Uh, You know, you have the opportunity to bring, you know, a Derwin James or uh, Desmond King off the edge, maybe even a Kaiser White off the edge, something like that uh, out of the slot.
0: Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my
1: new show. It seems smart. It seems smart is a show about people doing things that for some reason or another seem smart at the time
2: I think there are a number of ways to create pressure, speed things up, maybe force a turnover. So if Bose is healthy and the defense is clicking at all cylinders, you know, at the end of the year I'm thinking I probably want the defense on the field. But right now, based on the way the defense is playing right now and based on the way Rivers is playing and the number of weapons they have, especially if Melvin Gordon is healthy, I would think I'd want the ball in Rivers' hands with two timeouts. Uh, granted, it's been a while—quite a while—since we've seen Rivers lead. You know, a clutch fourth-quarter game-winning touchdown. Uh, he's had a couple opportunities last year, in particular. You know, I'm thinking of the Patriots game. I'm thinking of the Jacksonville game. Uh, some opportunities to bring the team back, and he's come up short. He's turned the ball over in some situations. He just hasn't been. The clutch guy that he was early in his career so i'm a little gun shy and having the ball in his hands in the fourth quarter but with as well as he is playing right now and as sharp as he is and the job he's doing getting the team into the right plays and getting the ball in the, the hands of the right people i feel like this is a team this is an offense that we can trust to get those 75 yards with two minutes left and two timeouts so I guess it's kind of a convoluted answer. I kind of went in both directions. But if both Bosa, if both is healthy, I want the defense on the field. But right now, with Bosa not being healthy, things being equal, all things being equal, the way the defense is playing, I would take the offense.
1: All right, next question. Hey, guys. So I might have an unpopular opinion, but I'm not sold on Badgley and hope he isn't our answer to the kicking conundrum. Every one of his kickoffs came up short, Not only that, but they were low enough to allow the returner to get a running start while catching the ball. The results speak for themselves, and for the second week in a row, the defense had to defend a short field almost the entire game. To me, that's just not a feasible model for success, especially against better teams that will take advantage. Making makeable kicks is great, but we shouldn't be so jaded that we allow this to cloud our judgment. What are your thoughts? Great job on the podcast this year. I look forward to it every week. Thanks, Nas. Well, Naz, isn't it funny, or I guess not so funny, that this all stems back when the Chargers released Josh Lambeau? And the reason they released Josh Lambeau was because Young Wei Koo was better at kickoffs? That set this whole kicker carousel in motion, and now we're having the same conversation, where Badgley isn't doing very good in kickoffs. Sturgis is, but Sturgis isn't making his kicks. I'm not sold either. The kickoffs were bad. Lynn addressed it after the game. Badgley had five returns in both games this year, so he started two, five returns, last two games. He also didn't kick them as bad in Cleveland than he did in London, and I know a lot of people were speculating that might have been a game plan thing, but that's not what Lynn indicated after the game. And you basically have a choice to make. Hopefully the choice isn't keeping two kickers, and that's obviously an option, but either you see if Donnie Jones can handle kickoffs, which I doubt, or... You surrender field position for points with Badgley or surrender points for field position with Sturgis. I'm not entirely sold on Badgley only because of the kickoffs. Obviously, he's been perfect so far, but I'm still willing to give him a couple weeks before saying, hey, what are we doing about this kickoff situation? Because also, the punt and kick return teams weren't very good the last few weeks either for Batchley, so that doesn't help either.
2: Next question is from Mike in Australia. Mike says... Hey, guys, love the show, and I look forward to it every week. Derwin James has been an absolute beast for the Chargers and must be the steal of the 2018 draft. How do you think he's looking for defensive rookie of the year honors? Personally, I think it's a lock if he keeps balling out the way he has been. Thanks, guys. Go Bolts. So here's my thought on the the rookie of the year award. I think right now there are really – four guys who are at the forefront of the discussion based on the way they're playing through the first half of the season. I think those four guys are obviously Derwin James with the impact he's making in coverage as a pass rusher and in run support. He's been fantastic. Uh, The sack totals are higher than you would expect from a safety. Uh, He doesn't have a whole lot of interceptions. Uh, I think he leads the team or is tied for the team lead and passes defensed and he is among the team leaders in tackles. He's been very good, but he doesn't have, I mean, if you watch him on a day-to-day basis, you understand how valuable he is, but I'm not sure he has the sexy uh, counting numbers that you would want in terms of tackles, sacks, interceptions, and that may change. Uh, But right now, even though I think he's at the forefront with, with three other guys, I'm not sure that the numbers are sexy enough for him to get that award even though he's probably deserving of it. That could change. But the other three guys that are on that list, I think, are Darius Leonard, the linebacker from uh, Indianapolis, who was one of my top linebackers in the draft last year. I had him as a sleeper, as a potential second or third round pick. Just really love the way he covers ground and makes plays. Uh, Leonard has four sacks. He is leading the league in tackles, and he has been a huge impact player for that Indianapolis defense granted they are rebuilding they're probably not going to make the playoffs they will more than likely finish with a losing record certainly probably no better than a 500 record so he's a guy who's kind of at the forefront right now and might even be leading the pack just based on pure production uh but you figure that team's going to fall off in the second half of the season and as the team falls off His coverage will fall off. He will not be at the forefront of the discussion because people will forget about him playing in Indianapolis. So I think his chances slip as the season goes on and the team around him continues to lose. I think Denzel Ward is in a similar situation. He is tied for the league lead in interceptions. I think he's in the top 10 in passes deflected. He is one of the top, I think he's the number five rated corner on um, pro football focus right now. And he has been very, very good out of the out of the gates, uh, but he plays in Cleveland. They are they have a losing record, uh, unless they have a huge surge in the second half of the season and he does some really special things. I think even though he's very good and playing extremely well, I think it's likely he will slide in the discussion as well, just because he will not be getting the coverage that some of the other guys will. So I think he slides. Um, and then the last guy who I think is at or near the forefront of the conversation is Leighton Van Esch, the linebacker from Dallas. Uh, his numbers are not as great, but he has the advantage of playing for Dallas, who will more than likely be in the hunt for a playoff spot in a very weak AFC East for the majority of the year, unless the Eagles get really hot down the stretch. And if you're playing in Dallas, you're playing in the middle of that defense, you're in the middle of a playoff run, He's going to get a ton of tackles as he plays more and more and more. He will make some plays. He's going to stand out, and you're going to hear his name build as the season builds just because he's going to get a lot of the credit for the Dallas defense if that team stays in the hunt. So I think the first four guys, that first group, Derwin, Vander Esch, Leonard, and Denzel Ward. Uh, I think there's another cut of guys that are right behind them, probably includes Bradley Chubb. Jesse Bates, maybe one or two other guys. But I think those guys are really kind of on the outside looking in. Chubb had a three-sack game early in the season, hasn't really done much since. Bates has been good in coverage, has been around the ball a lot, Uh, but he plays on a Cincinnati team that will more than likely fade as the season goes on. So I think his chances will slide, even though he's been very, very good. My number two safety, by the way. Um, So in my opinion, I think – this award probably comes down to Leighton Vander Esch and Derwin James, and I think it comes down to who makes the most splash plays down the stretch, and who does the most to put his team in position to make the playoffs. So, if Derwin continues to rush the pass, the rush the passer the way he has been, and he makes a few big plays in coverage, maybe forces some turnovers down the stretch in key games, you know, he could really put his name way ahead of the others if he comes up with a couple big turnovers, maybe in the, the Pittsburgh game or the Baltimore game, or maybe against Kansas City at the end of the season. So he's going to have an opportunity in the last three or four weeks to make some splash plays and really separate himself, and I think Van Der Esch will also be in the same situation. So is it a lock? I don't think it's a lock. Uh, does he have a chance? Absolutely. I think he's probably going to finish the, the season in the top, two or three voting and like i said have a really good chance to push himself into the forefront to the top of that board to the top of that list if he closes out the season really well and particularly steps up and balls out in you know kansas city against baltimore or against pittsburgh so those are his opportunities to shine and really separate himself good question though thanks mike
1: Next question is from John Doe, which is a cute name for whoever wrote this. I know You can do whatever name you want, which I guess is why you put John Doe, but why not just put your first name? Come on, we want to know who you are, John Doe, or Stay Anonymous. I don't care. I know the team is winning, and it's not really a big deal, but I would like to see Keenan get the ball more. What do you guys think about that little tantrum he threw against Tennessee? Watching the play live, Keenan felt like he was open, but he was only open because Rivers let the ball go early to Mike Williams over the middle for a quick hitter. Rivers made the right read. Mike was open in tight quarters and it just hit off his hands. He turned his hands the wrong way, tried to trap it against his body. Not good. That should have been caught and Rivers put it on him. Now, if Rivers had thrown it away or made some ill-advised throw, I get it. But everything through that process was right, except the result. Keenan was wrong for that. He shouldn't have got upset. And I understand it's about competitiveness. And, He's manned up about it. He went on Twitter and said, hey, that's my fault. I shouldn't have done that. And he knows he was wrong for blowing up like that, and I respect him for saying so and acknowledging it. Keenan Allen is 19th in the league in targets, but he's kind of taken a back seat the last two weeks because the plays from the outside receivers, Tyrone Williams, Mike Williams. Keenan will get his. I'm not too concerned about Keenan not getting the ball enough. I have an inkling that, John Doe, you own Keenan on your fantasy team, and you're probably playing PPR. Want to get him some more targets, but he'll get his.
2: The next question is from Ben Brown. And Ben says, how would you guys grade Anthony Lynn a year and a half in? The Chargers are now 14-5 and five through, the, through their last 19 games, and those post-game speeches from the, from the Chargers Twitter get me ready to run through a wall. But it seems the Chargers are just a few tweaks away from dominance and can't quite get over that hump. What changes do you think Lynn could, should make to get this team to play at an elite level? So the first part of that question is how would you grade him a year and a half in? So if you're looking strictly at record-wise results, hard numbers, I think, you know he's fourteen and five over his last nineteen. I believe he is fourteen and nine overall, just off the top of my head. Twenty-three games in, yep, fourteen and nine. So you know he's over five hundred, pretty respectably over five hundred. And they've been on a real tear, for the most part, since you know about the middle of last season. So he's got them playing pretty well. I think from a record standpoint, you'd probably give him a solid B. You know, maybe a B minus with the 0 and 4 start last year. Uh, but I think if you look at some of the things that you need a, an elite coach to do, some of the things that a coach needs to do to put his team in position. From a game management, clock management kind of perspective, I think there are still some shortcomings there. Uh, I think the clock management is a big issue. You know, we've seen him struggle to call timeouts, like in the Tennessee game. They really should have started using their timeouts earlier when it became clear that Tennessee was probably going to score instead of just bleeding the clock, letting Tennessee bleed the clock out and leave no time. Uh, I thought they also wasted two timeouts at the end of the first half against T- Kansas City when they are against Tennessee. Excuse me, when they had a chance to possibly go down and kick a field goal before halftime. Uh, we've we've also seen other instances of him really struggling to manage the clock at the end of games and at the end of halves. So I think his clock management's probably you know, a C C minus somewhere in that range. You maybe even give him a D in some in some instances. <clears throat> Game management you know in game decision making i think there are some weaknesses there i you know i think he's really inconsistent with when he's going to go for it and when he's not going to go for it there are some games where it seems like he's you know trying to make a point early in the game and he's gung ho and he feels like he's got to win the game and he's he's taking shot chances on fourth down and then later in that game when they really need a fourth down conversion he's punting it from the 35 yard line so he's so up and down and so inconsistent with those play calls that or with those decisions that I think he—that's another low grade, probably in that C minus D range as well, if not even a little lower. Uh, but one thing that I do like that he does, and I'll go back to a positive here, is I think he and his coaching staff, for the most part, there are some exceptions where it's not the case, but for the most part, they've done a good job of putting their players in a position to succeed. Um, you know, this year they're taking more advantage of Tyro Williams deep. They've done a good job of. <clears throat> They've done a good job of getting Melvin Gordon involved in the passing game over the last year, year and a half, particularly in the middle of the field against linebackers, which is a tough matchup for any linebacker. Uh, You know, on defense, they're trying to keep Derwin in the box. They've really done a good job of bringing Darius Phylon along and finding ways to get him involved in the pass rush, whether it's from the inside or, or as a five technique. Um... You know they they bring in Feeney and they move him to left guard. They put him in a position to succeed. I think. I think there are a lot of examples of guys that they have. They're bringing guys in with a specific plan for them, and putting them in a in a position to succeed with how they're using them. And I think that's those are those are good things. So overall, if I'm grading him, I think you know even with the four, the fourteen and nine record to start his career. I think there are some things that still need to be worked on there are still some things that are some slight red flags so I'm going to give him I want to give him a good grade but I'm going to give him a C right now Um, I'll give him a strong C because I think that there are some things he's doing really well and there are things that he's not doing as well that 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 kind of not necessarily cancel those things out but make them a little bit less impressive Uh, in terms of What changes do I think should need to be made to get this team to play at an elite level this year? Uh, I think there are a few, and I think a lot of them are personnel-type changes on the defensive side of the football in particular. Uh, First of all, they've got Julio Lodaya playing in a position that he is not suited for. I think we all knew that going into the season. There was kind of a... Uh, I guess we'll call it a cautious optimism, for lack of a better word, that maybe he'll figure it out and be a good free safety. But Jaleel Adai is not an NFL free safety. He's kind of an average, strong safety, and they've got him out there on an island in the middle of the field, and he's just terrible. And I think they need to hold him accountable. I think it becomes more and more difficult for the team to hold anybody accountable if they've got him out there taking bad angles, missing tackles, blowing coverage assignments, letting guys run by him. He's just been brutal, and something needs to be done to fix that. And I think there are, you know, a couple ways that they could address it. I don't think they will, but I think they could. You know, they could flip flop him and Derwin and have Derwin at, at at free safety more. I don't like that idea. I think Derwin is so much better in the box, just in general, and so much better in the box than a die that I just want him closer to the line of scrimmage where he can be more involved in the game. Um, but that is an option. The other option would be to figure out some sort of rotation with uh, Rayshawn Jenkins and Adrian Phillips, uh, both of whom have played pretty well in recent weeks and are deserving of more snaps. You could kind of rotate those guys back there depending on whether you're in your base defense and your sub package. You know, some, It might look a little bit something like, um, for example, Adrian at free safety in the base defense, and then when you're in nickel and dime, you walk him down into the box and you bring Jenkins in for free safety something along those lines, but they need to hold Jalil Adai accountable. I think the other thing that they need to do is they need to figure out a more clearly defined role for Uchana Nwosu, obviously second round pick. You'd like to think he's going to make a big impact. He's hardly been on the field at all outside of special teams this year. I think he played four snaps total in Tennessee, which is kind of shocking in a game where they needed some pass rush and they needed to, you know, kind of speed Mariota up and he still couldn't get on the field. Uh, it'd be nice if they could figure out a way to use him to get after the quarterback whether it's with his hand in the dirt or standing up uh, and get him you know 15 to 20 snaps moving him around giving him a chance to make some plays. They need to get him on the field. Uh, I think another adjustment, somebody else that needs to be held accountable is Kyle Emanuel. He's been pretty good against the run this year, but they've got him on the field way too much and teams are picking on him in the again as a as, in coverage um and i think that's something that we will see more of. You know, Tennessee didn't really do a lot of it. We didn't see the Raiders really do any of it, but as we get more and more into the the back half of the season, you know, you can bet the Steelers are going to take advantage of it. I would expect the Seahawks to try to take advantage of it. They seem to have a really good feel for the Chargers' coverages and how to attack it. That's kind of concerning. Uh You know, I would think uh, Kansas City obviously understands how to attack it, playing the Chargers as frequently as they do. So that's something that also needs to get adjusted. And I think they need to take a look at Trevor Williams. I think um, he's not played very well. He's looked kind of indecisive and slow, Uh, as confident as he was last year. He just doesn't seem to have that same confidence. You know, I don't know if he, you know, took it easy this pre this off season or if it was the preseason injury that hurt or whatever the case may be, but. He's just not the same guy. So they need to get another athlete on the field. They need to get some length on the field, some speed. And they've been doing it, but I think you know you might see more of Michael Davis in the second half of the season. So those are some adjustments to look out for. I think they also need to have a focus on uh, red zone scoring, scoring touchdowns, that is, in the red zone. Uh, They're going to have to make a decision on the kicker. Um, And I also think... They need to be better on third down. I think as they get start playing teams like Cincinnati and Baltimore and Pittsburgh and Seattle and Kansas City, thir- converting on third down is going to be paramount because I think they're going to have a harder time converting some of these 20-plus yard splash plays that they've been getting against the Browns and the Raiders and the Titans of the world. So they're going to need to be more consistent and move the ball more more methodically and convert third downs, which is something they've not done well. And from a red zone perspective, I think they need to do a better job of getting the ball in the hands of their best playmakers. You know, we've seen them scheme plays for Antonio Gates, who is probably the fifth or sixth best option on this team right now. We've seen them scheme plays in the red zone for Virgil Green, which has not worked. Uh, find ways to get the ball to Keenan in the red zone, find ways to get the ball to Eckler in the red zone. They've done a good job of getting the ball to Gordon. I'd like to see a little bit more of Tyrell, maybe some jump balls of Tyrell and Mike in the back of the end zone in the red zone just to mix things up. They're a little predictable, and it seems like they don't really know what they want their identity, be in the re- identity to be in the red zone, so I'd like to see them work on that. So that's an idea of some adjustments they can make in the second half to take this team to the next level.
1: This question is from Eli. Hey, guys, love the show. My question is, do you think the Chargers will be able to re-sign Joey Bosa? The first contract was a disaster. I'm nervous that he might want to go leave and play wherever his brother gets drafted. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm not concerned about the second part. Nick Bosa is going to get drafted by a bad team. He's a top-five pick. Ed Oliver's probably one, but he'll definitely make a case. And I doubt Joey wants to go to the, you know, Browns or whatever terrible team is up there. Colts. I don't see that happening. But I think your concern about the Chargers re-signing Bosa is Is true because I believe it too. The team really fucked him over in his rookie contract. I wonder if that has lingering effects. I think about that a lot. I mean, Joey Bosa's family got involved. It was a mess. And the same team employees will be working with him on his new contract too. So it's not like you got new guys in the house, new faces to work on that new contract. You got to think that feelings will come back up. But I'm sure Joey and his agency know it's a business. The Chargers will have the opportunity. I think with how this team is going and the fact that he's been able to see the success with Ingram on the other side, team is probably favored to re-sign him at this point. And, you know, Tom Telesco is going to get him a fair deal. Joey Bosa is going to get a fair deal from Tom. He always gives it to him. But the question is, will Joey try to break the bank? I'm not sure Telesco breaks if Joey wants it all, you know? If I'm GM, I'm giving Joey whatever he wants, to be honest with you. Well, obviously not anything, but Joey is a guy you got to keep. I think Tom Tlensko will be aggressive, but I do wonder if there are lingering effects from that rookie contract debacle.
2: And the next question is from Luke, and Luke says, It seems to me the snap count for the linebacker group outside of Denzel Perriman is pretty interesting. Why do you think the team continues to limit Nuosu? Who had four snaps last game? And what do you think? What do you make of the other linebacker snap counts compared to how they've been playing? Thanks. Love the show, Luke. Um, so the, the linebacker snap count, I think, has really been out of necessity. Uh, they've had they've had Jatavis Brown on the field with with Denzel Perriman and Kyle Emanuel quite a bit in base defense when Brown has been healthy. Uh, we've seen that start to shift a little bit. I don't think Brown is playing all that well. He's not that great against the run, and he's had his issues against the pass. And we've seen, in some instances, we've seen Adrian Phillips walk down into the box and play that will role, both in the base defense and the nickel linebacker role. And frankly, I really think if you're looking at who's playing the best over the last three or four weeks, I think you could make a very strong argument that Adrian Phillips is the best linebacker on this team right now. So, And that that includes Denzel Perriman. And I think we've even seen in some cases— especially against Tennessee, there have been instances where they've had Adrian Phillips playing the mic. So they're getting him on the field. They're getting him more snaps. They're getting him closer to the line of scrimmage, and he's making more plays. And that has really benefited the defense. I think from a Nuosu standpoint, you know, I'm not sure what's going on there. Uh, If I had a guess, I would say they're not comfortable with the way he sets the edge against the run, even though I thought he looked surprisingly good doing that in the preseason. It just seems like they are way more comfortable with Kyle Emanuel, and they are perfectly fine letting Emmanuel get picked on in coverage if it means having him set the edge for a couple of, you know, for a handful of runs every game. So uh, it just seems like they're not comfortable with Nemosu. They either don't trust him in coverage, they don't trust him uh, to set the edge, or both because he's just not seeing the field. He's seen the field on, you know, a handful of third downs where he's been able to apply some pressure. But I would hope that his role will expand. One way or another in the second half of the season to help them get after the quarterback a little bit more, particularly if Joey Bosa doesn't make his way back as as quickly as they think he will. And I think, you know, hopefully we'll have some changes with the linebacker snap count coming up because hopefully Kaiser White will be ready to go after the bye week or soon thereafter. And if that happens, you know, we could see a lot more um, nickel packages and dime packages with White and Phillips out there together. Uh, just because they're both so good in coverage. And I think White is going to get better and better against the run as they go. So that's my thought on the linebacker group. And again, thank you for the question, Luke.
1: This question is from Preston Walker. He says, and it's a long one, so I've been thinking about this idea ever since the Chargers moved to L.A. I was born and raised in San Diego watching the Chargers. Same here. It wasn't really that they moved or where they moved that irritated me. It was what they were called. Los Angeles and San Diego have had a number of sports rivalries, and there's generally some animosity between the fans. It was a slap in the face to every San Diego fan. But I realize I know how to make it all better. While well, keeping the team where they are, the SoCal Chargers, like the Golden State Warriors, they would represent the rest of the Southern California with or without L.A., who aren't going to the games to root for the Chargers anyway. Charger fans would love it compared to L.A., San Diego residents, who have tickets, would still drive to Carson. L.A. doesn't care now and won't care after the name change. As the top-end Chargers gurus in the universe, what do you think? Go Bolts, Preston Walker, top-end Chargers gurus. Awesome, because I'm here to determine all. Good idea, it works for me. It's better than Los Angeles. Call them the SoCal Chargers. I'm with it. I have spoken.
2: And the last question here is from Daniel Glenn. And Daniel says, the past few games are a very different story of Cleveland, Tennessee, San Francisco make some very reasonable catches, exploit our blown coverages, take advantage of the great field position we give them consistently on a special teams, on special teams. By the way, Daniel, I think you could probably add the Buffalo game to that because they've dropped a lot of balls and the Chargers blew a lot of coverages in that game as well. Anyway, The rest of his question is, to put it quite simply, how good is this team? Will they be able to compete, win against good teams that will take advantage of those little mistakes? Or will they disappoint if they have to go through Kansas City or New England should they make the playoffs? Or should we just be happy they're winning the games they're supposed to win? First of all, like we talked about on the last podcast, I think it's encouraging that they're winning the games they're supposed to win because in a lot of cases, they're doing the little things they need to win for the most part. And if they do those against the teams they're supposed to beat, hopefully the thought process is those things carry over against the better teams as well. So taking care of business when you're supposed to take care of business is a good thing. And it's something that you can hopefully build on. Uh, In terms of how good is this team, I think that's a fair question. We talked about it on the podcast last week. I think they really, the Chargers really have not had that like chest thumping, we have arrived kind of win. I think. You could make an argument: Is Tennessee or Cleveland their best win? I think Cleveland was their most impressive win in terms of the way they tore them apart and just killed them in the second half. I think Tennessee is probably the best team they've defeated so far in terms of being a fringe playoff contender. Uh, but again, no real, you know, chest thumping. You know, this we've arrived. This is the one. This is how we know. Kind of win. So I think it's fair to ask how good they are and will they hold up in the playoffs. I think we're going to learn a lot about them in the next few weeks. You know, we're going to get into record predictions here in a minute, but you know, they've got Seattle right out of the bye. A couple weeks later, they've got Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Kansas City, and Baltimore all stacked up one after another. So I think we're going to get a really good feel here, uh, in pretty short order for how good this team is and how they're going to hold up against good football teams. So I don't I think It's a to-be-determined. I think they are a talented team. I think they're playing pretty well for the most part right now. And I think they are a good football team. Are they great? I don't know yet. I'd like to say they are, but I'd like to see some more, too, because I think they do have some things they need to clean up. And I think things are going to get much more difficult in the second half, so we'll see how they hold up.
1: That does it for the questions. We are going to now do record predictions. And for the record predictions, I will start – Jamie will follow me, and as you listen to these, and if you're a fan of Score More and you listen to the Score More podcast, doing predictions week by week and not projecting it out is a lot easier, and that's why I'm undefeated so far. So these are probably going to be different for the Score More podcast, so save your energy. Don't tell me about how I predicted it different on the Lightning Round podcast. It's because I'm projecting out. So here we go, week nine. They traveled to Seattle, It's after the bye. Tough place to play. Chargers are rested. But for some reason, I can't think they win this game. I just don't think they pull it out. I think they lose Week 9 against Seattle. Seattle isn't the team they were. Their defense is nowhere near the Legion of Boom, and I understand that. But being on the road in Seattle, in that stadium, with a quarterback like Russell Wilson, who I think could make a couple more plays than Marcus Mariota did, I say Seattle takes advantage. They win that game. Week 10, they play at Oakland against the Raiders. That's a win. I got the Chargers winning that game, and I think that's obvious. Week 11, they travel back home, and they are playing the Denver Broncos. For Week 11, I've got them winning against Denver. We're still trying to offload players, quarterback questions, they almost started Chad Kelly. There's a lot going on there. Chargers win that game. Then they face Arizona, which is a very bad team now. And I think they win that game too. So they've won three in a row. And if you look at the schedule, if the Chargers can get past Seattle here. There's a chance for them to be 9-2 before traveling to Pittsburgh to play that game, which... Might have some playoff implications, but if they can get past Seattle, get in Oakland, Denver, Arizona, kind of ramping up to play the Steelers, might be good for them. But in my scenario here, I got them losing to the Seahawks. So lose Week 9, win against the Raiders, win against the Broncos, win against Arizona, then they travel to Pittsburgh. And again, I think with that environment in Pittsburgh, I think it's going to give the Chargers trouble. I think they lose this game, week 13, at Pittsburgh. Week 14, they play Cincinnati Bengals, who are a more improved team, better than most people thought they would be this year. But I still think the Chargers win that game. Then for week 15, they are at Kansas City on Thursday night. It's all about the environment so far in these predictions. They can't get out of Seattle. They can't get out of Pittsburgh. They're going to have a hard time against Kansas City with Mahomes rolling towards the end of the year. And this game's probably going to be for the division. I think Andy Reid and the Chiefs will be ready for the Chargers, and they lose that game on Thursday night. Then Week 16 against Baltimore in prime time, which they flex now. This is a very interesting matchup. I think this is going to be really tough for the Chargers to pull this one out. That Ravens defense is really good. Their offense isn't great, but... This is a swing game. This could go either way. I got the Chargers losing against Baltimore. And then their finale in Week 17 at Denver. They win. Chargers finish 10-6. and six, Probably good enough for a playoff spot. They finish 5-4 and four after the bye. Not great. Some tough matchups. But these games could go either way. So let's hear Jamie's predictions.
2: So talking about the second half record predictions, you know, when we did our record predictions before the season started, I had the chargers going 11 and five and I don't have my list in front of me. So I don't remember exactly who I had them losing to. Um, but I th- think if I'm not mistaken, I probably had them five and two at the buy. That's my guess. Whether or not they beat the teams I thought they'd beat. I'm not entirely sure, but, I think I probably had them somewhere in that five and five and two, six and one area, just because of the schedule they had to start the season, uh, and I think they get a big test out of the gate. You know, they go into Seattle. Seattle has the number one pass defense. They have one of the best rushing offenses in the league, and they have that fantastic home field advantage with the twelfth man, where they are loud and they are loud all game long and they really make things difficult on the opposing offense. And, you know, we have at times seen the Chargers struggle to get plays in on time. They've had some issues with false starts and pre-snap penalties uh, when dealing with a lot of noise. Uh, Luckily, they have a lot of practice with the the silent snap count, being that they basically play on the road every week when they're supposed to be at home. So I think it's going to be a challenge for them. I can't remember if I had them beating Seattle or not. I just... I have a feeling they're going to have a hard time with the crowd noise. I really do. I think it's going to be loud. It's going to be uncomfortable. Uh, They're going to have some issues getting play calls in. I think they're going to struggle with flow, and they're going to have some false starts, some delay of games. I think it's just going to be a very difficult environment. I think it'll be close. I think that pass defense gives them some problems, and I think the Chargers probably lose in Seattle. It's probably close. It's probably a low-scoring game. I think it could wind up playing out a lot like the Tennessee game did. Uh, I just I just have a feeling about this game that it's not going to go well. I, I feel like the Seahawks have a really good feel for the weaknesses in the Chargers' coverage schemes. They know how to attack them. It seems like they always find big plays against the secondary in the preseason and in the regular season. And I think the running game is going to get a really good test this week. Or the running defense, I should say, is going to get a really good test this week. So we'll see how it goes. I think it'll be a good game. I think it'll be tight. Uh Moving on, I think they beat Oakland. Not really concerned about that. I think they beat Denver. Might be kind of relatively low scoring, but I think it'll be a good game and from a Chargers perspective, and I think they will win. Obviously have them beating Arizona. Don't think there's much of a threat there. Pittsburgh game, I kind of went back and forth on that. Not really sure how good Pittsburgh is, but it's on the road. Uh, you know, you're getting into that November-December time frame there. I... It's early November. It's going to be cold. It's going to be loud. It's going to be really hostile. And again, some of those issues with the coverage schemes, Steelers love to throw the ball around. I feel like Todd Haley's going to have a good idea how to attack those coverage schemes. So they're going to really need Bosa back in that game. If they don't have Bosa back in that game, um, I think it's a problem. And I've got them losing in Pittsburgh. Probably another tight game. Maybe a little higher scoring. Uh, but I think they lose in Pittsburgh. I have them beating Cincinnati. I have them losing to Kansas City until they prove otherwise. uh, As much as I'd love to pick them against Kansas City, I just don't like the matchup of Anthony Lynn against uh, Andy Reid. And I feel like there's so many weapons on that Kansas City offense. I think that they're getting their defense into shape, and there's just something about Phillip against that defense. Uh, just makes me uncomfortable. And I'd love to eat crow on this. I'd love to be wrong. I hope I'm wrong, but I have them losing that game. And then moving on to finish the season, I have them beating Baltimore because I don't trust uh, Joe Flacco. I think it'll be a tough game just because Baltimore's defense is so good. I think their pass rush will give the Chargers a lot of problems. I think Baltimore will probably make some plays in the passing game because of the way they stretch the field. But I think the Chargers win that game, ultimately, and I have them beating Denver in Denver to finish the season. So they're five and two now. I have them going six and three down the stretch. So I still have them finishing eleven and five. Kind of went back and forth on the Seattle and Pittsburgh games. Could easily see them splitting those two, uh, but I think eleven and five is a reasonable prediction. So I'm going to stick with that. I still have them going eleven and five.